Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and originator and host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me Matt Brockman, who is executive director of the National Ranching Heritage Center here in Lubbock. And for those of you who have never visited, it's an incredible assortment of, I guess it's part museum, part outdoor exhibit, and you have, what is it, 28? How many, how many ranch houses are on the property? There are, in our historical park, there are um, 48 structures. 27 of those are ranch buildings, whether they be houses, dugouts, uh, commissaries, schoolhouses, structures like that. And they've all been transported here Yes. onto that one yes. property. It's incredible to wander among them and also to get some appreciation of how people had to live. The one that impressed me the most as a father, a husband, was there was one that was basically one big solid brick. I mean, it was a pile of bricks, a square rectangular pile of bricks uh, with place. gun slits yep. and then a ladder to enter the house. The door was on the roof because pretty much you had to retreat there with your 12 children, yes. I might add. Yes. I might imagine, boy, and they didn't have a lot of parlor games. You know, I was just thinking your third day cooped up in there while under siege must have been uh, not fun as a parent. Yeah. But I guess a necessity. The Plains were, at one time, a very hostile place. Uh, that particular house came from uh, Palapena County, which is west of Fort Worth, about 80 miles. And uh, the um, family's home had been burned in a Comanche raid. Uh, and so they built a house that wasn't going to get burned and one that would keep them safe. And so it's, uh, it, it tells a very intriguing and impressive story. Yeah, for those, you have to see it and just, again, visualize uh Having those kids and say, okay, kids, come in the top now. The Comanches are raiding. Now, you've worked in agriculture and cattle most of your life. You've worked at the Fort Worth Stock Show, the Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, the Texas Department of Agriculture, National Grain and Feed Association, and you also worked as a legislative assistant for uh, Charles Stenholm, U.S. Representative. And that was on agriculture, I assume? Yes. yes. I went to Washington, D.C. right out of, right after I graduated from college. And uh, I'd never been east of Tyler, Texas in my, in my life and drove to D.C. and had uh, about six and a half wonderful years in D.C. I uh, worked for Charlie Stenholm, who was a tech grad. And no cattle there. Not many cattle in Washington, no, D.C. No. Not I mean, many maybe for lunch, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. you had, yeah, at lunchtime or dinner. The, the chop house. You didn't see very many roaming the streets of D.C. Now, your father was, you put here, in cattle procurement and the transportation business. Now, w- w- what does cattle procurement mean? Now, he was a rustler. Is that what you're saying? That's a, no. That's a sophisticated way, David, of saying he was a cattle buyer and a, and a, and a bull hauler. He a was, bull hauler. He was, yeah, what we'd say a bull hauler. Or a, uh, he drove, a, drove cattle trucks and bought cattle. So did he, he ever did he own any cattle? Now? I mean, back then. Did, uh, did he oh, yeah. His own I personal mean, yes, cattle. Yes, of course. And, and, and he had a small cow herd that, that he owned and, and that we uh, took care of. His parents, his grandparents came to Young County, which is 
north, well, just due south of Wichita Falls, about an hour drive, uh, in 1888 and settled there. And so his great, his grandfather and father had also ranched and farmed a little bit in that area. So that's where he lived. They lived most of their lives and they're buried in Graham. Graham Graham's the town I consider home. Although I graduated from high school uh, at Granbury, which is closer to Fort Worth. Besides the sports teams, Texas and cattle and cowboys just roll off the tongue. They're associated. Uh, probably all of our foreign students have talked about how their family back home just assumed, you know, that there's cattle roaming through the cities, you know, and cowboys and Indians uh, fighting, uh, you know, downtown. Uh, what do you think it is when Texas was first settled? There were obviously areas which were black dirt, you know, rich farmland, and yes. you know, just like in Illinois or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you might have dairy, but what was it about, te- especially the drier parts of Texas and West Texas, that seemed to lend itself to beef cattle and and ranching cattle? Well, part of it at the time was just uh, climate topography. Where we stood, it was prior to the Industrial Revolution, so um, I would love, when I drive across Lubbock today, or the South Plains, and you see miles and miles of cotton, 150 years ago, those thousands of miles were nothing but prairie, grass. And um, Were there buffalo? Oh, gosh, for tens of thousands of years. So the, the buffalo herds that we yeah. we associate with, say, the northern plains, oh, yeah. they were also in the southern. Oh, big on the southern plains. Mm-hmm. Uh, bison uh, freely roamed the southern plains and thrived on the southern plains. I think that's a, that's a very important historical component and part of our heritage that prior to uh, Anglo settlement, uh, for tens of thousands of years, you had millions of bison that roamed the southern plains that sustained uh, Native Americans. And uh, the grasses sustained those millions of miles of grasses sustained those bison. Uh, it was a very unique ecosystem and uh, untouched by modern times. And I would, I, I, I would give my left arm to, to have seen it. Then came cattle with uh, Angle. So now, now let me ask you about that. I mean, we, 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 I guess we have the, in our mind the image of the, the buffalo being killed off. Mm-hmm. But and now, you know, I actually love bison and that's my favorite sure. meat. And, and, and it's very healthy, too. I, you know, grass fed bison. Um, was it something about the bison that just didn't? I mean, it was it was a, it was a tougher. I mean, it was a tougher animal to domesticate. And to, I mean, the, the domestic cow had been around for a long time. Uh, but but a herd of bison was a lot more trouble than a herd of uh, yeah. longhorns or yeah they of, were uh, Angus uh, you know now bear in mind they were all wild at that point in time the cattle were pretty wild and the bison definitely were even today bison are more difficult to contain uh, within a fenced range and so um, you know and then they also don't convert forages feedstuffs into uh, lean protein as well as uh, cattle do, and so we, uh, over time, as science has progressed and and technologies progressed, uh, in a market-based economy, it's about efficiency and it's about being able to produce more with less, and um, that's where cattle kind of became king. They're both good sources of meat protein. They're both healthy. But anyway, going back, I think, to your point, it's uh, when the cattle supplant, uh, supplanted the bison 
And that gives us our identity. I mean, our identity is, I think, inhabitants of Texas, the Southwest. Our identity goes back to those pioneers and those Native Americans, too, that inhabited this land uh, in a different time. And their perseverance, their spirit, their individualism, and all is something that we certainly taps into our being and resonates across the world. I mean, we've traveled uh, around the world, and when they see you and they know you're from Texas or the United States, yeah, they expect you have a ranch. One of the other associations, of course, with cowboys are music. Yes. And uh, we, we an entire, many, many genres of uh, music, and also we had... Some of our younger listeners won't remember once upon a time there was the singing cowboys and the Roy Rogers and, mm-hmm. and, and their ilk. Did, did you grow up in a house where there was a lot of music? Yeah. Did your parents sing at home or was there any like live music or was it we heard it on the radio or played a record? My mother's father, my grandfather on my mother's side, had Irish roots. His name was Lewis Murphy Mitchell. And he, uh, he played the fiddle. He played... Uh, a bass fiddle. Uh, there was a lot of music in that house. I have one of his fiddles. Uh, I played it. I think what's really fascinating, you go back to those Irish tunes and those Celtic influences, they're very much, and I didn't put any of those old 19th century cowboy songs on my list. I pondered them a lot, but that is the roots of so much of music that's important to people even today uh, in in ranching circles, in uh, the country music genre. The bluegrass you know, evolve from those from those uh, from those roots, and uh, it's very much uh, a part. You can go back in and look at songs that were sung around chuck wagons when the herds were going north in the 19th century, in the late 19th century, and a lot of those songs, whether they were songs that were sung or songs that were played on a fiddle, all had Irish Celtic type of roots, and yeah. it's very much and, and that a lot of. Um People have talked about the South was uh, sort of disproportionately settled by people of German, but also of, of uh, Celtic, Scottish descent. Um, now, your very first song is uh, Hillbilly Highway by yep. St- Steve Rowe, very famous song. By the way, I noticed that there are no uh, rap songs here and no no uh, you know rock and roll songs, I, I guess Ricky Skaggs, but uh, everything you really have is sort of country and cowboy influence, I'd say, right? Yeah. You're yeah, not a big insane clown posse fan, No, no, right? I have. I haven't. I guess I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 54, and perhaps I can blame that on age. My playlist on my iPod is, it's got a big mix. I listen to music every day. I probably listen to more classical than anything because it's on at my office. If I've, I tune into a, a, a classical station, and, and that's what I listen to throughout the day. It's background noise. I love it. It's uh, I love the music. I love the genre. But, I mean, I'm like any other person that was raised in the 70s. I love, I mean, there's a lot of classic rock. I'm a big Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Uh, you know, I went through all that, still listen to those, those songs. But this was such a fascinating exercise for me because it made me focus on the words. It made me focus on the meaning of the songs. And so as I went through that, some of those songs that excited me as a, as a teenager or someone in my 20s, I still love to listen to. But this made me focus on the words and the meaning. And that meant a lot. 
Hillbilly Highway. What does that song mean to you? Oh, I think that's such a fascinating song. I think back to my ancestors. I think back uh, when, and, and this was a great album, that uh, that album, Guitar Town, that Steve Earle did. I think I think he wrote most of the songs on that album, and it was just a awesome album to begin with. But this song in particular just speaks to those people, whether they uh, in this song, they were from Appalachia. Granddaddy was a miner. He finally saw the light, and he left. And he went to uh, left his wife, and he went to Detroit, and he got a job. And I think about my grandparents. They made sacrifices in order that their children could go to college. And just like in this song, uh, the the miner's son went to college and got himself a big job in Houston, and another boy went down the Hillbilly Highway. I, I, I think the fascinating thing is Steve, or the person in the song that's singing it, he turns back to his music, and granddaddy rolls over in his grave, and <laughs> his daddy said he was a fool, but you know he went down the Hillbilly Highway too. It was just uh, a road that went in a, in, a, in a different direction, but there's a lot of different meanings in that song that appeal to me. My granddaddy was a miner, but he finally saw the light. He didn't have much, just a beat-up truck and a dream about a better life. Grandmama cried when she wept the you never heard such a lonesome sound. Pretty soon the dirt road turned into black-top Detroit city bound. Found that hill, belly highway on that hill. song is How Great Thou Art, which we've heard before on this show several times. Uh, this version done by Martina McBride, uh, that is a religious song. Now, there's one thing we don't associate with the Cowboys, and that's religion. <laughs> I mean, we, at least in movies, we associate, you know, hard, dri- hard drinking, hard living. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the West before it was settled with the school marms and, and churches, uh, yeah. the Wild West. Was there more religion on the frontier than what we probably see in movies? Oh, yeah. I think the movies... You know, we have to bear in mind what the movies were attempting to do is 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 to sell movies. And religion and faith probably doesn't sell in that respect like guns and blood sells. These pioneers were people that came there and they had to have deep faith in order to persevere. One of my favorite cowboy movies is screenplay was written by Larry McMurtry and that was was Lonesome Dove. 
you can look back in Lonesome Dove and any time there was a tragedy, uh, they turned to their faith. I mean, one particular scene where one of these Scots-Irish immigrant boys passed away. Uh, they are standing over his funeral and, you know, they weren't men that openly expressed their faith on an everyday basis, but it was there. And to see Robert Duvall playing Augustus McRae and speaking over that over that man's, uh, that young boy's um, grave was um, very touching. So faith was important. There was also a very, very popular scene in that movie early on when uh, Duval was sitting out on the front porch cooking biscuits on a Dutch oven and reading the Bible. So um, yeah, uh, it uh, doesn't get reflected, I think, enough, but faith and religion was very important to, to, uh, to, to cowboys and early day settlers. Oh Lord my God When I in awesome Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. The margin of living was pretty narrow. I remember, I love very much the uh, Little House in the Prairie books. I mean, the, the TV show didn't, never did anything to me. My, my wife and I like to reread the, the original Little House in the Prairie, Moore Ingalls Wilder. There's a particular scene there they're bringing in. Now, this, of course, is the Northern Plains, but again, it was, it was, it was the frontier at that time. They're um, bringing in the harvest. <laughs> and there's a young boy who is uh, playing around and, and making a pest of himself, you know, and he kicks over a hornet's nest and is stung by about 100 hornets. And in the book, they describe how they, they wrap him in a wet, bl- a wet blanket, put him on the porch, and then go back to bring in the harvest. And I was thinking, like, you know, today, I, as a parent, I probably would just sort of drop what I'm doing. And, and But the fact is they there was no doctor immediately handy. That whatever they were doing was about all they could do. Sure. And they had to get in the harvest. So right. that, that really showed, you know, they loved each other and they cared each other, but they didn't want to starve that winter. And the margin for must, on the plains here must have been yeah. at that same very knife edge. Right, right. I, I know there, I've heard some stories and I know there had to be countless uh, situations when cowboys were taking cattle up the trail to Kansas, railheads, uh, when someone was injured and they had to um, treat someone the best they could. 
and hope for the best. The people in your example were probably in a race against weather to get that crop in. And you're right, they did the best they could for their child, knowing that they had to get that harvest in if they were gonna survive the winter. I think it's easy in today's world of living on pavement all the time that uh, we become disconnected from the challenges that people faced and, and the tough decisions they had to make. And, and those decisions often had challenges. I mean, you, you go, I've, I've walked through some of the uh, cemeteries of yeah. the time, you uh, know, and this is true in big cities where you see a lot of children and you see yeah. a lot of five-year-olds and four-year-olds. And this is why people were so tough later in life, because if you survived childhood, you know, you were a pretty, pretty tough guy. And, and of course, you know, that was true in the big cities, but, you know, big cities, you didn't have to deal with rattlesnakes and, right. you know, being shot. Right. Right. <laughs> And so it, it, it was a very, very tough yeah. uh, life, uh, but yet they tried to make uh, a culture for themselves. It sure. wasn't just, you know, subsistence living. There was sure. a lot of rich culture, and you, ha you displayed in that museum. What is the one piece exhibit in that museum that you think would surprise people the most when they walk in the door about cowboy life, about the frontier life in Texas? You know, for me, it's probably one of the, the dugout. We have two dugouts at the center. A dugout is a home that's dug into a piece of ground. Uh, if you could find a, a, a little berm or a little rise in the landscape. Uh, and that was tough in West Texas sometimes. That was tough, <laughs> tough in some places, you know, you really had to look. But you took a shovel and you dug into that ground and then you went and you took an axe and you cut logs and you basically built a house into that embankment and you used mud and you use logs, hand-cut logs, you put a door in it, and that kept you from the elements. Now, it didn't keep you from the dust. It didn't necessarily do a good job of breaking the wind. It didn't keep out the snakes and the skunks and the other varmints that might also like a nice place. <laughs> or they th what would be nice to a skunk, I guess. And that's where people lived. Sometimes family. Sometimes a man moved his wife and children into that dugout. And what is so amazing to me and so intriguing and appealing to me in a, in a certain way is that they chose, they could have stayed in St. Louis or Fort Worth or wherever and took a job out there. For Something drew them to the plain. Something drew them to that prairie. And they dug a hole and cut the logs and they built that house and they lived in it they, knowing that it wasn't going to be their permanent residence, knowing that if they could get established, they could build a house someday. They could bring in uh, lumber on a freight wagon and build a house someday and they would get their start. What appealed to them? I think it was freedom. I think it was that they, they enjoyed ranching. They enjoyed livestock production or farming or whatever that was. that was. That's what their ancestors probably did back in Europe. It was the hope and promise to fulfill a dream. Your next song is George Strait, Troubadour, and I've had a couple people on this show before say George Strait was really the king of, uh, I wouldn't say ballad, but of story, yeah. you know, of, of tragic story country. Troubadour, what does that mean to you? Oh, I love this song. Uh, if you're like me, if you're going to be my age and you grew up in Texas, if you don't put George Strait on your list, you're, you're, you're probably nuts. But he's got a lot of great songs out there. But this one appealed to me at this point in my life. He says, I still feel... 25 most of the time. I still like to raise a little cane with the boys. Um, and, and he describes where he's at in this point in life. He says, I came in on a song 
and uh, I'll go out on a song. I came in as a troubadour. I'm going to go out of this world as a troubadour. He's reflecting back on his younger years. He knows that he isn't going to be a troubadour forever. But the time that he's got left, that's what he's going to devote to. And, uh, you know, he's still out there trying to make a name for himself. He's still doing his thing, and he truly loves it. He's just a little older, and um, but still the, the love and the passion for what he does is still there very strongly. I still feel 25 most of the time. I still raise a little cane. With the boys Honky tonks and pretty women Lord, I'm still right there with them Singing about the crowd and the noise Sometimes I feel like Jesse James Still trying to make a name Knowing nothing's gonna change What I am I was a young troubadour When I wrote in all the song And I'll be an old troubadour When I'm gone Your next song is Garth Brooks, who I, I guess at one point was really probably the, the biggest selling, the most popular of all country artists. And The Dance. Mm-hmm. The Dance. Tell us about The Dance. That was a song, obviously, that I'm sure went to number one on the charts country charts it may have gone really high on the pop charts had a lot of meaning i remember the video that ran with it it had scenes from jfk and scenes of martin luther king and scenes of a popular uh, rodeo contestant at that time named lane frost and at that point in time you know it you know uh, to me the dance was hey there are going to be these people that come in your life and they're going to suddenly leave and i could have missed the pain but i would have missed out on the dance and, and so that's what I equated a song to at that point in time was somebody coming into your life that you loved and they unexpectedly and way too soon left. But I guess at this point in my life, I, I look at it from a different perspective and just from experiences. I mean, there are things that I've experienced in my life, opportunities I've taken advantage of. They didn't necessarily work out like I thought they might have, but they were so enriching. And had I not been willing to step out and embrace them and take on a different challenge, get outside my comfort level, get outside my box, I guess, I wouldn't have experienced it. And to me, that was that's the dance today. I mean, it's got a, that different meaning. So the song's got a different meaning. The song's got a different appeal to me and uh, still love it. Still love to hear it. Looking back. All the memory of the dance we shared Neath the stars above For a moment all the world was right How could I have known That you'd ever say goodbye And now I'm glad I didn't the way it all would end The way it all would go Our lives are better left to chance I could have missed the pain 
But I'd have had to miss the dance. You own three horses, yeah, but no cattle. No cattle. Now, why, why don't you want some, just one little, you know, longhorn or something? Well, it's something else to feed. <laughs> <laughs> and I really don't want to run a longhorn, to be candid with you. I've got the horses because I, because I ride. Uh, I compete as a, as a, uh, as a roper uh, in, a, in a contest called Team Roping. And uh, so that's a hobby. I also trail ride. I also do some ranch horse competition with these horses. So it's, you know, th- these aren't just uh, ranch art. They're um, something I enjoy that I ride. So, and cattle have gotten expensive. So <laughs> not that horses aren't either, but, you know, I've thought uh, after I moved out to this part of the world, I, I, I might one day consider purchasing a, a cow herd. But, you know, at this point, I'll just stick with the horses and the dogs. Your next song is by Hal Ketchum, Small Town Saturday Night. You grew up, you were born in Olney. Olney. Olney, yes, Olney Texas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How, how big was the population of Olney? Olney's, this, this, this song suits Olney, Texas to a T. How many traffic lights uh, when you were two. two. Yeah, two. Okay. Uh, still are yeah. two. They still are two. <laughs> you know, it was... That was such a simpler time, and it was before iPhones, and it was before the Internet. And we probably did think the world was flat, uh, as Hal explains in a song. There really was a Elvis movie on the marquee sign, and growing up and going to drive-ins, we probably did see those movies two or three times. It was To me, it was about a simpler time living in rural Texas. Some of those towns and some of those places still exist. I mean, they're more connected than they were back then in the 70s and 60s and 50s, but it was an innocent place. It was a place where young men and women were beginning to experiment. Music often played an important role, right? Oh, a dance, a dance, Saturday night, I mean, oh, they would, somebody would put on a dance. Oh, right? oh and, and we we dragged Maine. You got in cars, three or four or five kids in a car and you drug Maine. You drove up and down Main Street and you turned around at the Dairy Queen or at the high school parking lot or wherever those designated places were. You made that drag and you listened to music. You had your eight track tape of the Eagles or of Buck Owens or Merle Haggard or whoever it was and you made those drags. That was small town Saturday night. There's an Elvis movie on the marquee sign all seen at least three times Everybody's broke Bobby's got a buck Put a dollar's worth of gas in his pickup truck We're going 90 miles an hour down a dead end road What's a hurry son Where you gonna go We're gonna holl at the moon Shoot out the light It's a small town Saturday Bobby's getting drunk and looking for a fight Liquor on his breath, trouble on his mind Well, Lucy's just a kid along for the ride Got a six-pack of beer and a bottle of wine Gotta be bad just 
have a good time They're gonna holler at the moon Shoot out the light It's a small town Saturday night It's a small town Saturday night Your next song is by Alan Jackson, another country great. Where were you when the world stopped turning? I was driving to work. September 11th. Yeah. Yeah. And I had the radio on, and they came on the radio and said a plane had flown in to one of the world towers at the World Trade Center. You don't think much of it. Uh, you think, oh, it's a horrible accident. You assume it's an accident. I was the executive vice president of Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers at the time, and we had, I oversaw a staff of 30 people there in the office, and the world did stop turning that day. And we stayed glued to the TV all day long in shock. And anybody that's 15 years old or 18, 20 years old or older know exactly what they were doing when that happened. And that song came out in October. Alan Jackson debuted that song at the CMA Awards that October. He said the word, the song just came to him. He said he woke up in the middle of the night and the song just came to him. He said it just spilled out and he wrote it. But I think those words probably best illustrated how all Americans felt at that point in time and I'll never forget it. You go back to that small town and we were so innocent. Oh, there were things in this world that were wrong, lots of wrongs, but it was the first time that we truly, I think on such a grand scale, saw hatred, confronted hatred, that somebody would hate someone else so much that they'd be willing to take a bunch of people and turn a vessel into a missile and um, that song just means so much to me and it hadn't gone away the sad thing is it hasn't gone away six months we didn't know who the islamic state was we didn't know who isis was or isil or whatever you want to call it there's still hatred and um, that song will always have a lot of deep meaning to me where were you when the world stopped turning on that september day were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger and fear for your neighbor or did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children lost their dear loved ones pray for the ones who don't know did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sob for the ones left below did you burst out with pride for the red white and blue and the heroes who died just doing what they do did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran but I know Jesus and I talk to God and I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us, and the greatest is love. 
Your next song is Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. Yeah. Seven Hillsides of what? Where? This is a song. Of Rome? No. No. In Appalachia. <laughs> Appalachia. Yeah. In Appalachia. Yeah. Ricky Skaggs. Uh, I've always been a Ricky Skaggs fan. I love his ability with instruments, whether he's playing a mandolin's his main instrument, but Ricky can play a lot of things, and he's got such a diverse background. He was with Linda Ronstadt for several years. Emmylou Harris, he played, uh, he was band leader in the hot band, in her hot band. He played with Bill Monroe and Ralph Stanley, and just a rich, diverse background, musical background, but he's really settled into the, into the bluegrass genre. This song came off of a religious album, a Christian album called Soldiers of the Cross. And it's about a man that has prayed all night long. He's got to get up that morning and do seven funerals. Seven young men from this community died in a conflict, in a war. He don't, they don't explain, they don't say which war it is, but they all come home the same time and they have seven funerals. And he prays that he can muster up the right words. And then he exposes, I think, just a reality. Uh, and I think we all go through, the, through this, us that try to have a, a strong faith in God. He questions his faith. He says, I was called to preach at a young age, and I was really in love with fiery words and really nothing more. And what's he going to say when he has to look those mothers in the eye? How's he going to tell these people why something like this happens? Just to hear this song about a preacher who's got such a hard job to do and knows that he's still a human being and, and faces the same kind of challenges and questions about their faith, about his faith as, as I do and others, is, is a, has a lot of meaning to me as well. All night I wrestled Jacob's angel and prayed with Matthew, Luke, and John, struggling to find the words to face the task that comes upon the blood-red dawn. And love. But how to bury seven of these Appalachian minor sons who stormed the beaches wave on wave and sailed home to these rocky graves in family plots that bear their names. Tomorrow I'll walk up seven hillsides, tremble before my flock on seven Seven sorrows, seven sons, seven mothers, and everyone will turn to me for the word of God. What does this mean? And there I'll stand, good book in hand, a shepherd to these precious lambs. What will I say? What will I say? thought much about the will of God before. When called to preach at 17, I was in love with fiery words and not much more. But 
shattered by their loss Remind them of the loving God Whose son like theirs paid the cost To save a sad and wicked world Through sacrifice our love is heard And pray that I believe those words Tomorrow I'll walk up Seven hillsides Tremble before my flock on Seven hillsides Seven sorrows, seven sons Seven mothers and everyone Will turn to me for the word of God What does this mean? And there I'll stand, good book in hand A shepherd to these precious lambs What will I say? What will I say? Next song, a period piece, Radney Foster, Texas in 1880. Now, that, what's that about? You know, See, I, I'm learning. I, I learned so much here from music that I just never heard of or didn't know existed. <laughs> and it, it's always fascinating to me that people educating our listeners and myself on, on the background of songs they may not have heard. Yeah. Sure. Texas in 1880 is about rodeo, and it's about rodeo cowboys. And, you know, I've done... I've done some rodeo, and I, I, I still am a competitive team roper. Now, when you say team roper, that means that multiple people are trying to rope, and, yes. and it's cattle. Yeah, it's cattle, yeah. and there's two of us. Yeah. There's someone who ropes the steers. The steer runs down the pen. One contestant ropes this steer around his horns, leads the steer across the arena. Another cowboy rides in and ropes its hind legs and heals it, as they say, and they come tight, the animal comes tight, and they get a time for that. So it's a it's a timed event. Now that is dangerous. Uh, yeah, not as dangerous as bull riding, but you can get hurt. It's usually not, you know, a tragedy, but yeah, you can get injured in probably any rodeo event you can. But anyway, rodeo people. Rodeo contestants are an interesting lot because some of them, a lot of them, are some of the most talented and hardworking people I know. I'll give you an example. A guy, a good friend of mine named Clay O'Brien Cooper. He was an actor uh, as a boy in several John Wayne movies. Could have had a great acting career. He is a seven-time world champion team roper. Nobody's got more discipline. Nobody is more hardworking. Nobody is... Uh, he he's very smart, but he's embraced a lifestyle where there's just there are no guarantees. He doesn't have a pension. You know, he has to pay for his health insurance like any other small business owner. But they embrace that life, and this song brings that out. He says, "I've I've got a fever. They call rodeo just enough money to make the next show." And you know, he acknowledges that they acknowledge that. 
it's not glamorous. It's not going to make them wealthy. But gosh, they can't wait to get back on the road. And I find myself the same way. Uh, you know, I want to load those horses up and get the heck out of town and go rope with my friends, go be with my friends so I can relate. I don't know that I want to be on the road 48, 50 weeks a year like they're doing, but it's just, uh, it's just a fascinating way of life and a fascinating lot of people. I can hear the wind whisper my name Telling me it's time to get out again The horses are trailered and the lights are shut down I'm long overdue for heading out of town Got a fever that they call the rodeo Just enough winnings to make the next show Sometimes you make eight, sometimes you hit dirt Go on, pen another number two Your next song, and, and you gave me a couple of choices here, but I'm going to pick Gabriel's oboe, Yo-Yo Ma. A little bit of difference yeah. from the, yeah. the trend so far. Right. Yo-Yo Ma. How did you discover Yo-Yo Ma? I was watching something on PBS, and it was a, a show about this album that he did with some uh, bluegrass uh, players and that they called the Goat Rodeo Sessions. And I thought, oh, that's fascinating. And I listened to some of the music, and I liked it. And I immediately went to iTunes, and I downloaded the whole album and fell in love with it. Just absolutely fell in love with it. It's kind of this interesting mix of bluegrass and classical. And it's there There are two songs that have got vocals, but everything else is instrumentals. And um, it, it's just a, it's got a mandolin, the cello, a violin, and a, uh, and a bass. I just fell in love with it. And then I... Downloaded more Yo-Yo, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, and loved that too. And he's one that plays a lot at my office. You can you can hear him a lot uh, in, in my office. And this song, Gabriel's Oboe, I, I just, I love stringed instruments anyway. And this song is just, it, it just, I could sit and listen to that song for days on end. And he's just such an outstanding artist, and the stuff he turns out is so beautiful. And it's just something that I fell in love with in middle age, and I just, I just absolutely love it.
Now, your last song is also one we've heard before on this show, an absolute classic of, of mood as well as uh, lyrics, Neil Young, Harvest Moon. You know, folk is another genre that I began to embrace at middle age. And I was watching the Olympics in Vancouver, I guess, however many years ago that was, uh, I guess a little over four years ago. In the closing ceremonies, I listened to, uh, they had Neil Young playing uh, in the closing ceremonies. He sang a song called Long May You Run. And uh, I thought, oh, I like that song. I thought, you know, Neil Young isn't so bad after all. So I went and downloaded that song and listened to some others and downloaded them. And and then just started exploring other folk songs and, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Simon and Garfunkel, and, and so many of the others. And I've got a pretty decent playlist of folk songs. This song, I think, you know, when I looked at all the songs, I thought, i got to have one that's romantic. i got to have one. I've, I've got a wonderful wife, Karen, that, and, and, and I listen to that song, and, you know, Obviously, I don't know if Mr. Young wrote it, who, who wrote the song, but he's obviously in love with somebody very much. And it's just a wonderful, sweet love song to me. Music for me has been a journey. And when you were a small child, it was totally influenced by what your parents listened to. For me, that was Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Bob Wells and Johnny Cash and those guys, gospel as well. Then you began to spread your wings and and you you get turned on to rock and roll and to rhythm and blues and to, gosh, if you're, I'm I'm definitely showing my age, even, even the disco years had their appeal. But at this point, it may be David, on the side, I'm a writer, and 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 I love writing. Uh, when I was at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, was the first time in my career that I didn't that I didn't write professionally. Up until that point, from the time I went to work for a congressman, writing was part of my job. When I went to work at the stock show, it wasn't, and I missed it. And so um, I began freelancing, and I freelanced for some some ranching and equine publications, and fell in love with it. And uh, I think if I had it all to do over, uh, and I'm not just saying this because I'm in the media and communications department, but I I really think I probably would have been a journalism major. I might have starved to death. It's not too late. You know, you (laughs) might come back and teach a class. But I'm in love with words. And so when I put this list together, it was the words that I focused on, not so much the melodies, not so much whether or not I just, you know, I sang that song in the car when I'm going down the road by myself because I just love the, love the song, but the words is what I focused on. Uh, and because at this point in my career, whether it's an article I'm writing, whether it's a eulogy that I'm writing, whether it's an obituary I'm writing, whether it's a letter, a note, a handwritten note that I'm writing, the words are important. And words to songs are important. I pay a lot more attention to the words these days, and I think I'm enriched by that. Well, thank you, Matt Brockman. Thank you for uh, serving Texas Tech, the state of Texas, and uh, our heritage and and culture, and and advancing it for yet another generation. Thank you. It's an honor. Just like children 
I'm still in love with you I wanna see you 